time to eat. Time to time to go to those sensual streaming feelings. I'm hungry. <laughs> this podcast is so important. We need to go out and get something to eat first. I mean, that is real life, right? You walk out, and as you're walking to your car, your kid throws up everywhere in the parking lot, and you're like, oh, okay. So now you're dealing with that when you go home, and it's all hectic. That is real. I mean, that is real life, but there has to be a commitment to the disciplines that God has for his people. And so I can't be a monk who just stays up in some tower and studies all the time and sticks with the disciplines. Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. It's good to be with you today. Uh, Pastors of the Roundtable is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. And our goal together as we sit around the table today is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Um, sitting around the table with me today is Pastor Matt Bates, music and media pastor, uh, Pastor Scott Slater, family pastor here at MMBC, Pastor Tim Angeli, lead pastor of MMBC, and my name is Spencer Snow. I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church. And um, today on uh, Pastors of the Roundtable, we want to begin a new series of uh, episodes. We've gone through a series on worship and talked about the various aspects of worship, and we hope that's been beneficial to you. Uh, we want to switch up now, uh, beginning this week, with a different series, a new series, one that's a little different. Um, well, it's really different from the last one, um, but it's going to be... Uh, I'm excited about it. Um, I think it's going to be really, really cool. It's really going to be practical, but also fun, and yet um, just promote good conversation. I think we're going to go through um, the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Now, this doesn't mean we're necessarily going to cover every single letter in the book, but we want to go through it and... uh, just kind of talk through some of the ideas um, that Lewis writes in this book um, as we go through it. And we'll talk about various topics that, that arise out of the text that Lewis has given us here in the Screw Tape Letters and, and talk about um, how it can be applied today, the, the, the insights that Lewis has as he writes, writes this book um, uh, for us that was written first in the 1942 so uh, a little bit of background to uh, C.S. Lewis. I think all of us around the table are acquainted with C.S. Lewis. Most people at home will probably, if they haven't read the books, they'll at least probably be aware of the Chronicles of Narnia movies that have been uh, put out. There's like two or three that have been three, three that have been made. Um, and so a lot of people have seen those. Um, so they'll be aware of Lewis's work through those videos. But uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, is the the famous uh, writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, but who also wrote books like Mere Christianity and Out of the Silent Planet, along with the book that we're going to go through today, uh, The Screwtape Letters. A little bit of background about C.S. Lewis. His name is Clive Staples Lewis. It's a, an interesting name. But he was, he, was, he was born on November 29th, 1898 in Belfast, Ireland. Um, interestingly, uh, he abandoned his Christian faith by 1911. So he's, he's only, what, 12, 13 years old when he abandons his belief in Christianity. His mother had already died in 1908, so we can imagine that must have left a, had a lasting impact on him. 
um, his, his mother uh, dying early on in his life. Eventually, Lewis would serve um, in the British Army in World War I and was, being, was actually wounded in, in battle. And later on in his life, he would go and uh, become an English fellow of Magdalen College in Oxford, where he would tutor English language and literature. But then eventually, as he was uh, working there and as he's uh, thinking, he, he eventually abandons his atheistic beliefs and first converts to theism, so the belief that there is some God, and then by 1931 actually reconverted back to Christianity and became a believer um, in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And and so that's really how we know him as Christians is is him as a Christian writer. So he 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 left atheism, became a Christian, and then eventually during World War II he became uh, involved in giving these broadcast talks on Christianity. He started talking. The story I've heard is that actually. Uh, he wanted to know in World War II what he could do for the war effort. And eventually, um, I've heard he went to Winston Churchill. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, was eventually encouraged and told, actually, we need you to prepare these guys to go to heaven because that's what you can do. And so eventually he would go around and give these talks about Christianity. And eventually that became incorporated into the book that we now know of as mere Christianity. Um, so it's a wonderful reality. He's, he's actually, I've heard him called the greatest apologist of the 20th century, the greatest defender and uh, um, um explainer of Christianity to people outside the church. And eventually in 1942, during World War II, he publishes what we have as the screw tape letters before eventually in the 50s, he publishes the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, in 1954, he became the chair of medieval and Renaissance literature at Cambridge, uh, got married in 1956 before his wife dies in 1960. It was a very short marriage. And then eventually he died on November 22nd, 1960. 63 and died. So that's kind of a quick overview of who this guy was, Clive Staples Lewis, um, a man that I, I, I really appreciate and I think uh, many people have appreciated his writings, his style, but also the spiritual insights and uh, the, uh, the ability to really help make complex ideas simple and where you can grasp them. He was a, he was a gifted writer, a writer in doing that. So as we talk about C.S. Lewis's background, let's now move to the background to the screw tape letters a little bit, um, thinking about what are we talking about? Um, first of all, let's talk about what is the concept of the book, guys? What, if you were trying to say, if someone was going to ask you, what is that book about? How would you explain the concept to them? It's basically a book uh, from the perspective of two demons. Uh, one of them, screw tape, that's like the older, more experienced demon writing to his... I think his nephew, Wormwood, uh, and just giving him advice on how to be a good demon, how to tempt uh, people to sin, how to fight against their enemy, God. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it seems like each demon is assigned a person. Right. And it's like, that's your job, that person, to make sure they do not become a Christian. Right. And so it's just talking about that. Yeah, so it kind of gives you like a perspective of, like an extra biblical perspective clearly perspective right. of like what like a demon's tactics might sure. be or like how would they try to do this and so like there's some weird things that are in the book we were talking beforehand of like 
screw tape references the devil is like our father below mm-hmm. you know like that might catch you off guard because normally when you hear the reference mm-hmm. to father you think yeah. of god right. well not them you know right and so it's just like a from a really strange perspective and that's i think one of the things people really enjoy about this book is that it's from a really different perspective yeah so that genre would be satire mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's, he's used he's he's very i one of the things that's so on the one hand the book is very revealing it's uh it, it's kind of uh it's got a lot of great insights and one of the ways that lewis does that though is by um satire using irony there's just such a dry humor um that it it it, it catches you. It's a great, great literary tool. Another thing I was listening to, uh, someone else who's a, like more of an expert on Lewis, and he also pointed out the fact that he utilized the, the genre, the type of literature of letters, because letters are more what we use for giving advice. Mm. And so that helps give the book the feeling of maybe a more practical feel, um, because it's these letters of how to practically try to lead this man to hell. Yeah, and not right. and keep him from becoming a Christian right. and go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. I've really, in, I mean, I've suggested this book to many people. Actually, I don't have my normal copy. Somebody has it, and they should give it back to me. I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, but each chapter, each letter is like three pages or something. Short. Yeah. You can read a. You can read it really quick, and it's entertaining yeah i would say it's it's an entertaining quick little read each letter but it's also a thinker right yeah so you you find yourself if you read it over again like ah like you're kind of catching new things they're like oh okay and hopefully that will come out as Mm -hmm. we as we go through this together but i would want you know the people listening to know this isn't like a a daunting read it's not like a boring reference book that we might say you should have and you should read this and those are this good is too, but. like this is the kind of book that people who normally don't like to read will yeah. enjoy. Right. I would call this a vacation book. Like if I'm going on vacation and I'm going to grab a book to read on vacation, right. this would be an easy one to grab sure. and say, I'm going to enjoy this. I can do it in right. quick little slots, you know, read <laughs> sure. this letter, read this letter here, and it'll be really right. enjoyable. That's one of the things, honestly, that I always find uh, C.S. Lewis. It, it, this book is really good, but then other of his books, if you pick them up, one of the reasons why I think uh, you're willing to take hard things from C.S. Lewis maybe sometimes that he has to say is because he says them so well. Mm-hmm. And he knows, he was a master of the English language. So he knew how to convey ideas in a, in a very winsome way. I think that's one of the things too I appreciate is his winsomeness. Um, he's not your He's not a, a curmudgeon. Yeah. He's not just yeah. a. Um, he's he's very winsome in the way he presents the topic. So, so this is presenting it from the other side of you. Obviously, this is extra biblical. We're not saying that every person has a demon assigned to them. We don't know that. <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't have any revelation <laughs> into that. Um, but this is simply a literary tool that Lewis is writing to help give us. True spiritual advice, I think, and, and helpful insights as to how um, how our, our lives um, are to be lived and, and to help us to think through those things. So we've got three basic characters. We've got Screwtape and Wormwood, the two people that are mentioned in the letters as Screwtape is writing to his nephew, the junior tempter Wormwood. But there's also the third person in the background that we see, and that's the person known as the patient 
or mm-hmm. and that's the term they use for the the man that they're try, that wormwood is trying to tempt and it's it's i mean partially humorous they call him the patient mm-hmm. just like he's a medical mm-hmm. it's almost clinical yeah. terminology right these yeah. he's your patient and you're trying to to bring him uh to our father's house below as as they they use that that language as well Okay, um, let's go ahead and dive into uh, letter one. Now, the thing about letter one that we're going to cover just today in this episode is this is the one letter which is pre-conversion. So this is a letter addressed for, by Screwtape to Wormwood, and Wormwood is dealing with this man, his patient, and the patient is not a Christian yet. The next letter is whenever the patient becomes a Christian. Mm-hmm. But this letter, he's still pre-conversion. And, and what Screwtape is writing to him here in this first letter is he's, he's really talking about the idea of using argument and whether or not that's a, re, whether or not that's a good tactic mm-hmm. in order to keep his patient, his man, um, from becoming a Christian. And Screwtape is the wiser demon, is writing to his nephew, and he actually cautions against that and says, that's not such a good idea, actually to use argument, to use critical thinking um, in order to, um, to, to keep your, your patient, your man, from, uh, from believing and becoming a Christian. Screwtape is, is not for this. He, uh, it's interesting, Screwtape writes this, and you'll get a feel for um, some of the language here. He says, uh, Screwtape writes to Wormwood and says that whereas in the past people, quote, still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their life as the result of a chain of reasoning, end quote, today people don't do that so much. So whereas in the past you could ask somebody to really critically think and process through something and reasoning, and then that would actually change the way they live their lives. Today, that doesn't really work anymore. What do you guys think about Screwtape's idea here that um, argument is is not such a good idea? Do you, do you think that, um, that most people become atheists because they've really critically thought through things? Do people slip away from the Christian faith because they've really done hard critical thinking or is it for other reasons? What do you think? I think I've observed both for sure. Um, but the majority, and I think what uh, Screwtape tries to argue or tries to encourage his nephew to do is simply to allow him to just kind of go with the flow of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, just allow him to experience what the world says is new or good or practical. Mm. Um I think really the what he's saying, the temptation or to lead people into is to simply not think about it. Mm. You don't want people to think about the deep concepts of life, whether mm. or not naturalism or materialism is the way to go versus spiritual, mm. supernatural realities. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see that all the time. Right. Uh, people just don't think about it. It's interesting because one of the things that does is that ties – critical thinking closer to actually being a Christian. I think sometimes um, we've had a conversation just recently about, um, and actually making the sermon discussion video about sometimes people will, they view critical thinking and argument as kind of incompatible with sincere Christian faith because they don't want to just become pure intellectual, which is a danger. But on the other hand, we can think of Christianity purely in terms of uh, feeling or practical things that I'm doing with my hands, and we forget to use our brains sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that can definitely be a danger, I think, that this is hopefully proves and highlights. Yeah, I mean, I hope I'm not <clears throat> jumping ahead, but he says uh, towards the end of a paragraph here in the middle, teach him to call it real life and don't let him ask what he means by real. Right, <clears throat> right. And so this idea of, you know, he's saying it's not bad to have discussions and talk about the feels of life. Mm-hmm. These things we want them to right. think about the feels of life, right. but don't let them start thinking about the depths of those feelings right. or what actually is real. Right. Because the demons are saying, if they start going into that realm of science or mathematics, really that ends up pointing to God, right? Not away from God, because He's the creator of those things, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. they're saying, don't talk about the real things don't have these real arguments because mm-hmm. we lose. Right. <laughs> right. Arguments. Right. I mean, kind of think of like uh, when Satan tempted Christ, he was trying to use these arguments, but Christ always came back with truth, with scripture, mm-hmm. to say, this is what it really says. Right. This is what it really means, right? These things over and over and over again. And they're kind of getting at the same thing. Just right. let them live at this kind of surface level thing where they think they know all this stuff where they think they've studied these things right but really their life is based on their feelings and their desires mm-hmm. and just these right. different things and if you do that let them skate by the, the demon here would say right. you've got them right, yeah, right. there's there's something uh that he says in the letter he says remember he is not like you or he is not like you a pure spirit never having been a human you don't realize how enslaved they are to the pressure of the ordinary. And then he goes on to give this example of how one of his patients was reading something in the British Museum and he started to kind of think about like those deeper things about whether sure. God existed. And then uh, Screwtape derailed that thought by making him think, I'm hungry right, and I want to go eat something. It's just like these ordinary things, a person living their life one desire mm-hmm. to the next, mm-hmm. just living in this moment. It makes me think of like, I've, I've had a number of friends who um, became Christians while they were in prison. Mm. And part of their story is that that was kind of the first time, whether they were in solitary confinement or just had nothing else to do, they, that was the first time they actually sat down and read the Bible and had a lot of time mm. to think like they didn't have time to just right. go out and do whatever they wanted to do, whether that was what landed them in prison or that's just how sure. they live their life. That was the first time they had to sit down mm-hmm. and think. And I wonder if that had something to do with like them, you know, being in prison. Like they had to sit there and think about these really things good. for hours and yeah. hours and hours. And it's like when you actually stop the rest of your life, when even if you feel hungry, there's no sense in thinking about it because sure. you can't do anything about sure. it. You're in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just sitting there thinking about mm-hmm. what you're reading in the Bible. Is yeah. this true? Like, there's nothing else to do. I just think that's kind of like a. That made me think of that. That's you know, really my good. friends that have been through that kind of experience. Right. Well, we often tell our kids, right, or we'll say ourselves, "I don't know what I was thinking." Right. We realize we weren't actually thinking. We yeah. weren't processing things rightly. We weren't doing things rightly. Um, and, and that's where I, I think that's, that's really um, what happens to so many people. Uh, so instead of using argument, instead of using r- actual cr- thinking through whether or not this is true or not, screw tape encourages Wormwood to use what he calls jargon instead of argument. So this is a really good quote. It's a little bit extended, but. Um, I just want to read it to you. He says, instead of, we don't have to worry about basically uh, people reasoning with this, but 
and I'm, this is a quotation now, quote, but what with the weekly press and other such weapons, we have largely altered that. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think it is strong or stark or courageous, that it is the philosophy of the future. That's the sort of thing he cares about. No, one of the things Screwtape mentions, and this was written in 1942, mm-hmm. <laughs> he mentions that the weekly press is one of the things that they're able to help people separate thinking from doing and to put all these incompatible philosophies in people's lives. So that he's talking about the weekly pressed, press and other such weapons. How does this apply to us today where we don't simply have a weekly press? We don't even have a 24-hour news cycle anymore. Minute per minute. We got, really? Yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, and then we've got the internet, we've got social media. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how this now applies to us even more um, than simply the weekly press. I'm scared to talk about it because I think we'll lose listeners. <laughs> Honestly, like, I'm very much against... I don't want to say the news, but like, right. <clears throat> I don't like CNN and NBC and Fox News. I don't like those things. They're not a part of my life. I don't even let them in. And it's become very hard for me to get news that I feel is worthy of reading or trustworthy that's not full of jargon like we're, like we're mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I think it would be wrong of us to say, this doesn't apply what he's saying back then to us now because right. it absolutely does. I mean, sure. sadly, so many people in the church, I think, I wonder if their allegiance is to Christ first or if it's to a news channel right, or to a political party or all these different things. And um, this tactic, though, though, though I don't believe this book is... Um, true that there is a wormwood and we have real correspondence right <laughs> seems to really hit home though like, <laughs> i mean <laughs> this tactic really works and it's really easy for all of us to get lost in that mm-hmm. and and that's why i say i don't like those different things is because i can feel myself getting lost in that mm-hmm. to where you're sitting on your couch just ticked off at somebody you've never met or even right. talked to right and right. it's like, why am I feeling this way? Right. And it's, well, because this reporter reported it this way. Right. Right. And then you could have somebody report the exact same event a totally different way that gives you a whole different feeling sure. and response. And so I really think there's just so much twisting of things today that, man, as Christians, we really, really need to be careful yeah. of who we let in and what voices we let in and how often. Right. We let them in. I'm not saying we should be ignorant about the things of the world. I'm not I'm not saying that. I just think now more than ever, it seems it takes more time and effort and research to try to sure. get to the truth of the matter. Right. You know, right. you just hear so I mean how many how often have you guys heard people say, Hey, I read this article and this is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Like Pastor, you should make your decision based on this article. Look at I read I read this article. Hmm. 
oh, okay. It's like I can go pull 50 that fight that article. I can right. go pull 50 that sure. probably support that article. Yeah. It's like sure. I, <laughs> I think something that makes – I mean what you're saying is absolutely true and that was probably exist – like back in his day, the press, like I'm sure there were like newspapers that leaned one way over another way. Probably. Sure, yeah. Just like there are today. The thing that people I think a lot of times don't realize about social media is that makes it even more nef- – nefarious is that the right word nefarious is that like there are actually algorithms that are made to let you pretty much only see the things that facebook knows like based on what you've liked commented yeah what you followed who you're friends with Mm -hmm. they know the articles that you are more likely to agree with Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much all you see Mm. right so people don't realize that they're just inside of this little box Mm -hmm. they're not seeing the other side of the argument they're saying but everybody's posting this everybody knows this when in fact like the people that they are friends with or family with or that they go to church with they are seeing the exact opposite like but everybody's saying the other thing everybody's saying this and so it's just a you get caught in what they call an echo chamber yeah. of that sort. Right. Something that's this is kind of like to the around about to what you brought up, Spencer. But this something in this quote that I um, made me think about one of the experiences I had when I was a senior in high school was I was taking a college class. It was an argumentative writing class. Um, but what he says here, uh, he says. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies Mm -hmm. dancing about together inside his head. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What he's saying, a dozen incompatible philosophies. What he's talking about there is actually a philosophy of postmodernism and relativism. And I had just learned about that. And in my argumentative writing class, I was able to – it was like a final paper, a final project, and I wanted to write about relativism and how silly it was in postmodernism. And I wrote about that, and I, you had to present your paper, and you had to actually present your argument to the class. And I remember thinking, and that's basically that idea, that relativism is like your truth is your truth. Like you might see people on social media even comment, you know, this is my truth. That is a direct result of postmodernism um, and relativism, that basically truth is relative based on your experience um, and not scientific fact. And I presented that to the class, and everybody in the class thought that I was stupid or, like, that this is insane. Like, they would say, who actually believes this? They saw how incompatible and silly Mm. it was, but what they didn't realize is that pretty much all of them (laughs) believed it. You know, like, I was – not many of them were Christians. The years following, like, in college, I would see them saying things, posting things, doing things. But, like, it's actually – that philosophy dominates Mm. academia, politics – uh, people's worldview right now. Sure. Um, but it's just like the reason they don't see it is exactly the reason Screwtape tells him not to argue about it is that right. if you don't argue about it and you just let them go with it, they won't even see it. Right. But they'll just allow... They don't think about the implications of the mm-hmm. philosophies. They don't think about all the nuances of everything and how it... Like actually believing this is kind of incompatible with what you think over here, mm-hmm. you know, and different things like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that kind of totally derailed no, our conversation, good. but it was like I personally experienced that where I was trying right. to show people the inconsistency of what they're doing or thinking, mm-hmm. and they were just like, "What are you talking about? You're right. crazy." You I know? think that speaks so to like the honest struggle that Christians have in our society today in the political realm is because we. We have this system, right, that's like a two-party system. Maybe some people would argue that there's more, and I guess there are, but they don't seem to have a chance. (laughs) But, you know, 
for us, it should be a problem to have a dozen different philosophies dancing around our mm-hmm. head that aren't compatible. And so right. it's, it's hard to look at like one of the political groups and say, I align with them. Because when you when you read their platforms and different things, there's probably almost a impossible chance that you agree with all of it, right? I mean, again, being founded in God's word and trying to really think through it, it's hard for us to to do that. And so I think that's part of that struggle is hopefully as Christians we recognize this even in of ourselves to mm-hmm. say there's hypocrisy within me because of these different views and there shouldn't be. And so we struggle with that. We try to repent of that, but our world is just so driven to that, that it's hard to, it's hard to avoid that. And it makes it hard. You know, I, I really sympathize with Christians who are saying, I I struggle with my voting. I I don't know what to do because of this. Like I sympathize with that because it's like, yeah, we live in such a fallen world that we're not going to find the perfection, which then leads us to, tell people about Christ, hopefully right. to say, this is right. the answer mm-hmm. that we're all looking for. But mm-hmm. yeah, this, this has been going on probably before C.S. Lewis. Oh, he yeah. didn't come up with this. Mm. Um, it's probably always been the case. Uh, and it's something we still struggle with today. Sure. It seems to be an effective tool of the enemy. Well, and we see this often. I, I think the thing about jargon is so, we see that so much and, and it's interesting, the places that we hear it come to us in our practical experience, I think, day to day are through media or social media. Yeah. Um, places, outlets where we hear jargon, not argument so much. So we can't, we can't really have an ar- a right. discussion about an issue for a five minute discussion on the news scale. Yeah. We can't sit down and actually talk at a table without a camera because we have to get news clips in order to hit one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And so what we do have is a dozen incompatible philosophies. And what we see here, this is brilliant. He doesn't think of doctrines primarily true or false. Right. How often have we asked people the question, is that really true? Mm-hmm. So like about Christianity, right? When we drive it back to Christ, the question isn't whether or not you think that this book is written by a bunch of bad people who are a bunch of uh, bigots or, mm-hmm. you know, or sexists or whatever. The question is, is this true? Right. Or is it false? Mm-hmm. That's the question. It doesn't matter. So, but, what, but what we hear the world often do, and what we do ourselves, incompatibly, we often will talk about this. Well, well like, so for instance, we were talking on the sermon video about the, the, uh, the uh, attributes of God. So often, even in church life, people will talk about the attributes of God, and they'll say, well, you know, that's just academic, that's abstract, that's not practical. I really don't need to think about that. Well, no, the question isn't whether or not you think this is abstract. The question is, is this true? If it's true, it's worth knowing. If it's false, it's not worth knowing. That's the key question. We don't ask that question anymore. Um, We've taught ourselves to, to, to think about that. I mean, we hear, and we hear jargon all the time today, right? On the news channel, we've all learned a whole new level of, of, of big words. I mean, the, the jargon, for instance, social distancing, right? Just terminology. We learn all of these words that we can understand meanings of them, but we all throw around jargon and we don't really have a lot of real sincere, deep, honest conversations anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just blasting people with yeah. a flood of information. I mean, just, if you just think about the current events of the pandemic and the lockdown, the, the jargon that you hear on one side of the aisle is saving lives. Right. It's like there's an emotional connection to, to that word, to that phrase, right? Sure. You're saving lives by doing this. Right. The other side is taking away freedoms 
Like there's that there's both sides of that. Sure. I'm not saying which side I'm on or anything or right. whatever our position is, but it's just that those both sides use it. Right. Both whatever topic you're talking about. Sure. But what you don't hear very much of is actually people sitting down talking about evidence mm-hmm. studies that you can agree on. That's actually one of the reasons why any podcast I listen to usually nowadays is what's called a long form podcast, like multiple hours long of them talking about one topic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's where you really get into like the nitty gritty discussion of right. what does this mean? How does this work? As opposed to like a 20 minute with five different people that only say things for three sure. minutes or yeah, something. I can't remember what class I was in, but they, they posed this thing. They, it was like a challenge talking about news and just advertising and all this stuff. And they said, I can't remember what it was then, but it was like, go watch the news and see if you see a clip longer than eight seconds. Yeah, like watch it, mm-hmm. and it and I remember that just catching me because it was like, so what is your thoughts on this? They would ask the person, and they would literally give them like five seconds, answer the question. I'm cutting you off, and I'm moving on to the next one, and the whole thing has to last a minute, twenty seconds, and we're going to the next thing. Right. Or you know, they'll be like, and so and so was on the scene, and they're like, yeah, the house was on fire, and then they go to the next thing, right. and it was like, all right, and they're on, and um, it's become hard to where we've been trained to mm-hmm. function that way. Sure. Yeah. To where it's hard to sit, like even like a sermon, even sit and listen to a mm-hmm. thirty-five minute planned out sermon that's trying to use reason or whatever mm-hmm. to get to a point in scripture. Our minds just don't don't work that way. Mm-hmm. It seems like anymore because we've been so trained right. in this other. Well, and we see this with with unbelievers. We see this, and I mean, you can you can get people that are like really famous unbelievers and skeptics and atheists. Um, and what they often will utilize is jargon. They'll use big words and they'll use a lot of words. Um, actually, it's funny. That's what he'll, he'll use the, uh, the, the uh, screw tape uses that man, right? That was, that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. escaped from almost starting to actually think about the, the, the yeah. Christian faith. And, and he, uh, he, he uses a phrase at the end about what that guy was fond of talking about later on. It's just a bunch of jargon. It wasn't really clear thinking. It was just jargon he was utilizing. One of the things jargon does, and I want to, well, let me ask you this. Does jargon encourage humility or does it encourage arrogance when we're just talking in jargon? Big words and a lot of them. Well, th- think about the example that I just gave a second ago, the two sides of the p- current pandemic. Like using that jargon, not only do you make yourself look good, by saying that you care about saving lives or that you care about retaining rights, you also demonize the opposing view. You say they must think that saving lives is not important or they must not think keeping your rights is important. So no, it's not humble. You're on the, you're both trying to make yourself look like the hero and the other person Mm -hmm. look like the enemy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the whole point. Wouldn't that be slander? Uh, bearing false witness. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, you're. I think if you're talking about a specific person, I think so. But yeah. you're, what you're clearly trying to do is just make the other category yeah. look bad. Sure. Mm-hmm. You sure. know, you're trying to do both at the same time. In but that in a sense, instance, that anyone that believes something in that category is that. Yeah, I think they right. can. Yeah, I think they yeah. can. I don't want to instantly put everybody in that camp of like they yeah. just have terrible thoughts about everybody. It's just. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are honestly just following that same jargon. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, just right. saying things without 
thinking about yeah. what they're saying. Well, we can get caught in that in the church too, right? We use our own church jargon where we say things like grace and different things. And yeah. and when you start to, you know, I face this with my kids or with the youth I'm and adults, I guess, too, but just like someone, what is grace? Define grace. And they're all just like staring at you. And it's like, I know you've heard this. You're 15 and you've heard it for 15 years. Like you've been here all 15 years and you've heard it before, but it just becomes jargon. It just becomes just some word that you're throwing around and yeah. we don't really know how to define it or, or what it means. And so just to point to the media and blame them or politics and blame them, I right. think is false. It, it's in all of us where we, we, we yeah. get in that and where we can then become prideful using big words and saying things and trying to make other people feel dumb for they don't know this or don't know that or, sure. or whatever. So uh, it's very easy to uh, trap to fall into in all aspects, I think, of our of our life. But he specifically pointed out the press, and I think that's why, we, that's why we're talking about that more specifically. Right. Well, it, yeah. Does jargon clear up our thinking or does it obscure it? It obscures it because we don't have defined, you right. know, necessarily defined things like social distancing, for example. What does that mean? I'm six feet, eight feet, three feet, four right. feet with a mask right. on, with a mask off. Like there's all these different mm-hmm. things that needs to be defined better. So it really, it might be well-intentioned at first why the terms are used, sure. but they become, they can become divisive and right. um, difficult to understand. Right. And jargon in a religious realm can be used to just for people to, it can become the shield they use in order to not become Christians. They can yeah, just be full that. of jargon. And that's what, that's what Lewis here is talking about is using jargon in or as as a shield or as your mm-hmm. as that's how, that's what your mind is full of your mind is not full of clear thinking your mind is full of jargon like oh christianity yeah that's just so old fashioned you really believe that a bunch of those yeah. those prophets that wore a bunch of goat skins back then mm-hmm. actually have something to say to me today mm-hmm. you're actually going to think that notice they're not saying whether or not it's true or not mm-hmm. their question is is well, those guys were really old way back then. They don't have anything to say to us in the modern time. Um, and that's what we do today. That's what people do today. They think that simply because, you know, one of the things Lewis will actually write in another book, actually it's a forward to the book um, on the incarnation by St. Athanasius, but in the in the introduction to that book, he writes this and says, he talks about chronological snobbery. And by that, he means the fact that people often think that just because something's new, it's better. And because something's old, it's bad. Hmm. And that's, I mean, do we see that today, right, in general in our society? And we see that all over. Just because something's old, it's bad, and something new must be right. We are right because it's new, and we are right. so smart. Yeah. Yeah. So, Screwtape warns against using argument. He encourages him to use jargon instead. And lastly here... We've already touched upon it. He encourages Wormwood, his nephew, to highlight, quote, real life, mm-hmm. end quote, to the, uh, to the man. So argument, critical thinking, logic, don't use that. Rather, he wants his, he, he doesn't, he, he wants him to start just thinking about real life. Um, and, and I think Tim, you may have, you may have, have read this before, but he says, he tells Wormwood that he doesn't want him to get his patient in quote, the fatal habit of attending to universal issues and withdrawing his attention from the stream of immediate sense experiences. Your business is to fix his attention on the stream, yeah. teach him to call it real life and don't let him ask what he means by real in yeah. quote. So, Real life. And he uses the issue, like uh, Scott pointed out, I think, about the example of the man that was reading. 
And how did Screwtape get him to focus on, quote, real life? Well, first of all, he reminded him he was hungry. Mm -hmm. Second of all, he made him think that I can't really start critically thinking about this because I need to go eat lunch first. Then what did he do? He showed him, he says, the newsboy shouting the midday paper, the media again. Mm -hmm. And then again, Saul showed him the bus going past. And he and Lewis himself explicitly says through Screwtape here uh, that he needs a health. Uh, he talks about a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy. That's what real life is. And oftentimes, don't we get people say, "Well, you go to church, but that's not real life." Right. Yeah. And people use that phrase all the time, as if they're the really real life people, and all you do in Christianity is put your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. I'm here about real life, but actually, they're not. Talk a little about about real life and. And what you think about what Lewis is, is talking about I think about the here. way he defines it is a little before that. Just Well, maybe you read it too here. But the sense experiences. Yeah. Right? The immediate sense experiences. That's real life. And if, we, if we're being honest. The stream. Yeah. The continual flowing yeah. stream of those. When we're trying to like rest or feel comfortable is when we enter those stream experiences. I, I feel like like it's just easy. It's, it's the easy way to live, to never have to dive too deep, to never have to think too hardly, to never have to confront anybody or anything ever. Just kind of just going with the flow. Yeah, I feel like this. I feel like that. You know, I want to do this here. It's kind of maybe... I mentioned vacation before because my mind's kind of on that, heading into it. It's kind of like how you would view vacation. Like, I want to play football golf. I'm going to go play football golf. I'm going to go real golf. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to do this. All right. And you just kind of do it. You're not having to deal with real life, real, real life issues. And so he says, tells him on here, you do real life, but don't have him actually think what real means. Right. Like, don't yeah. have him ask that question. Sure. Just have him think that real life is right. the newsboy yelling out the midday news yeah. and the fact that he's hungry right. and right. this over here. Just help him to think that that's right. real life and to just live his life that way. Right. And that's what's real. What right. he feels is real. Right. Well, one of the phrases we hear today is, right, you do you. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, you doing you just means being like everybody else. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that actually means as well, like you said, go go find the boy with the Newsday paper. You you know, just real life. Well, half the stuff in that paper is probably not real. <laughs> right. It's not really been fact checked. It's the first draft of history. And so there's a lot of stuff that's wrong in it. And yet you're going to imbibe that yeah. as if that's real life. Mm-hmm. You're just going along with the stream. Mm-hmm. I love yeah, he, the, the phrase, the, the stream of immediate sense experiences. Don't don't let him get out too far. Just let him just sit in everything that's coming at him mm-hmm. from around the world, everything that he can see and feel and touch. Yeah. Don't let it's, him get out of himself. So it's why we ask the questions in churches wrongly so, but like, so how does that speak to you? Like, what is that passage telling you particularly? Yeah. And then that person goes on to say something completely wrong from that passage. Right. But you just say, well, I'm glad that's how it spoke to you. Right. And then you move on to the next person. That's letting that infiltrate right. the church, right? But it's become habit. It's right. become a habit of a lot of people when they have a discussion together uh, to, to ask that thing, you know, well, what did this say to you? Instead of saying, this passage speaks of this, how does that affect your life? Right. What is that right. doing in your life? Which the real question mm-hmm. should be. Right. Um, and so, it's, again, it's easy to infiltrate the church mm-hmm. in that way, too, to where we have these sense experiences. And that's what drives us. And that's mm-hmm. what's real. It's the same argument that you have to have with people. You know, we've already talked about this before, but 
with the concert living, you know. Like Pastor Timmy, you can't tell me that wasn't real. That wasn't real worship. I experienced it. I was there experiencing all of these things, and it was very, it was very real. But it's like, yeah, but that's not corporate worship. Well, how do you know? Because that's what God's Word tells me, and that's true. You didn't experience corporate worship there. You experienced something. Maybe it was good. I, I'm not saying that. But it wasn't this of what you're telling me right. it was, because the truth is over here. So we, it's so easy to get lost, and we're, we're all capable of right, it. Right. We all do it. Timmy, you're talking about, you know, this, all this infiltrating the church. I, I actually, unfortunately, think that I see just as much of this in the church as I do outside of it. Mm. Yeah. In terms of trusting jargon, using jargon, not thinking deeply and critically about what you're hearing. Listen, I mean, it's the image of a person who goes to church on a Sunday morning, even if they go faithfully. There's there, they listen to the sermon, they go home, don't think at all about what was done. Don't talk about it. It's just, you just go, you listen, you know the jargon, you know words to say, Mm -hmm. you know to say grace, forgiveness, you know, maybe a few other Christian phrases like sanctification or even justification, but you have no clue what they mean. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you don't care. Yeah. Because you feel like you've done what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I would actually much rather a person who has grown up in church think about these things and actually decide that they don't agree with it mm. and live as a non-Christian as mm. opposed to just keep on in the routine and mm. know the jargon and not think at all. Yeah. You know, I'd rather them know what they know. Yeah, yesterday in the message that I had the opportunity to preach, just at the end of the message saying, there's only two choices here right there's two choices you're either gonna respond like david and cry out to god know me search me try me or you're going to flee from this god you're going to choose to turn your back on this god and it's hard because i wonder how many people do what you said scott you know they they hear that and they're just like eh, and they go on they just go on with their day and do they even know you made a choice like your choice was to flee. And they're like, no, I'll be back again Sunday. Yeah, but you're you're fleeing from him. You're running from him. You're forming him into your own image that you mm-hmm. want him to be. Mm-hmm. You're not taking God for who he is and the truth of it and you being conformed to it. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. And I, it's exactly what you said, Scott. I mean, it's just people know these jargon things, and I think Satan has them tricked. You know, the devil has them very well tricked into thinking, you're good. You're good because you know these words. You're good because this is this pew has your butt print on it. So you're good. Don't mm-hmm. worry yeah. about it. And I think, I mean, I think what C.S. Lewis is trying to do in talking about this is warn you and alert you mm-hmm. that this is a tactic of the enemy. Right. This is what they want to happen. And so what should you, like if that's you as a Christian, you realize like maybe I don't think about this stuff as much. You need to actually realize like, okay, you get out of church and as soon as you're even like the sermon impacted you, you're thinking about it or like there was something in the song this morning that really hit you or the scripture that you read was seemed like it applied to your situation and you make a mental note to go and think about it afterwards or research it afterwards. But then you get out of church and you immediately get a text that somebody in your family is sick or somebody's fallen and gotten hurt or something like that to absolutely derail your thought. So real life has happened, right? Yeah. And so 
like the way, how do you counteract that? I guess is maybe something to talk about. Like, how do you ensure that you do think deeply about these things? Well, I mean, that is real life. I know we're putting quotes around real life and he did there, but I mean, that is real life, right? You walk out and as you're walking to your car, your kid throws up everywhere in the parking lot and you're like, oh, okay. So now you're dealing with that when you go home and it's all hectic. That is real. I mean, that is real life, but there has to be a commitment to the disciplines that God has for his people. And so I can't be a monk who just stays up in some tower and studies all the time and sticks with the disciplines. The disciplines of God then drive me to actually engage real life, to engage real life. And so I, the situation that you talked about, you know, we talk about falling on our face before God. He's this omnipresent, omniscient, omni-God, right? All-knowing, all these things. And so I want to do what he's called me to do. Well, now my loved one just fell. Well, what would God have me do? Maybe go care for them. (laughs) Maybe go love on them, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe go show them the love of Christ in that way, in a very practical way. Yeah, but I was going to go home and eat lunch. Like I've got all this stuff planned. Well, let's observe. Go and do that now, right? And that's a way of falling before God and Mm -hmm. saying, I'm humbling myself to you. I had these other plans. But I'm going to do this because I feel I need to be called to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and in your example, maybe you think of something and you need to study it. Study it later that night. I mean, don't. Well, say, yeah. So, but what I'm I mean? saying is, how do you? What we're ta- what the example that we're giving is of a person that thinks that, but like they never act on it. They just continue to live in this jargon world, but never actually thinking deeply. So, I guess my question is more like, what are some I guess the word would be practical things you can do to ensure that you do that you ensure that I, you actually do at some point go back and think about it rather than just try to make a mental note and try to keep it. Accountability. I would say letting other people know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know your wife, you're somebody who you're around. Mm -hmm. Like I had this question, um, let them hold you true to that. Uh, A pastor, you know, make a step to say, Hey, this impacted me. I'm wanting to do something. What should I do? And maybe they can give you books or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Like you have to include other people into this. That's why God has put us together as a body, mm-hmm. as a church. It's because we need that or else we do forget. I mean, I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm the exact same way. So, I mean, that would be the first practical step that I would think of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really um, just, just maintaining either personal or especially family devotions. Because what you're doing is you're getting out of the stream. You're swimming against the stream. You're putting down the media and the social media and you're reading a book that's thousands of years old from a God who's eternal. And um, one of the things Lewis, I think, says, and maybe it's mere Christianity, is that we have to remind ourselves what we believe. <laughs> I mean, because there's um, I, my moods are going to go here and there and everywhere, but I have to step aside and devote time to reading things and, and, or, or prayer or um, and memorizing, I think core basic things of the Christian faith. There's a reason why Christians for a very long time have recommended learning the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. The reason why they recommended those three basic things is because you need those very basic things to become part of your DNA. Because if not, you're going to just be part of the stream. You need to set aside times and, and, and make that part of who you are and who your family is. Doing those basic things and coming to church every week, you're you're starting to buck against the stream, um, and you're you're starting. Another thing I find, I mean, 
don't know how other people, but like one of the things today in our society, this is not media, but for instance, publishing is so easy in Christian circles. You can get anything published today. It doesn't cost hardly anything. In the past, if you wanted a book published, that was an effort to get something published. I would, if you're able to and you're interested, I would encourage you to read things outside of that are not printed today. Read old books because as Lewis will say elsewhere about chronological snobbery, our problems today are different from the problems they had back then. And we need to read people outside of our time to get outside of ourselves. Luther would talk about the fact that one of our problems as sinners is that we're curved in on ourselves. We always go back to me, me, me. And that's what happens with media. We always just come back to either, it either reaffirms who I think I am, and it really doesn't change me. It's not a message from outside of me. It's always just reconfirming what I think about myself. I'm being me, which means I'm just going along with the stream. Instead, we need to get voices and read the Bible and, and read it read things outside of your time and space and become acquainted with people that are different than you. And that means outside of your time element, I think. doesn't mean everybody needs to go do that right now and right away, but I would encourage people to do that because whenever you meet Christians or people from other times and spaces and you're reading their books or books about them, you're confronted to think differently because I'm so used to living in 21st century America. I need to think about what it was like to live in the 5th century North Africa and to be a Christian with the Roman Empire falling down. What's that look like? And and be challenged in questions. That that shapes us. I think if, if the more we can get outside of ourselves to those real things and drag ourselves out of the stream, I think we'll be better off. Yeah. And let's be honest, that takes work. I mean, it does. To be To be a strong Christian, to be a faithful Christian takes effort. And to be a to be a Christian, we believe you're saved by God's grace, right? Not yes. even doing it. So people might say, well, how's that balance there? But there's this work that God calls us to. You know, we, we talk about taking up our cross daily and, and following him. And the fact is, I don't daily take up my cross and face all this persecution. Where I live, I don't experience that. But there is a, a work, like Paul would say, how in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how he would discipline his body daily so that when the times come, he wouldn't be found to be disqualified. And so that means studying, that means preparing, that means thinking through these things to be ready. Like, what might this person throw at me? I want to be ready for it, right? I want to I have think, thought through it. What might I face today? And how am I going to respond to it the right way? And so it takes this effort. It's hard to read people who wrote in the fifth century because right. they don't sound like us. And so it can be difficult. And they use words that they we don't probably understand. didn't write in the same language. <laughs> right. For, for, <laughs> yes. What? First of all. <laughs> yeah. I thought, <laughs> okay. Everybody spoke American. All right. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> American. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I'm just saying, I just, there is this effort there and that's right. the hard part. Sure. Right. It is, it is difficult, right. but it's worth that work. It's right. worth that. I and mean, I'm not saying it happens overnight. No. Like, take a whole year to read the book. I mean, read right. a chapter a month and think through right. it if that's what it takes, but just do it. Like at right. least be out there trying to do it. Right. And that's one of the things too, I think a healthy appreciation of particularly church history. One of the things I think, um, first of all, we're Americans. 
we we oftentimes just think history started in like 1776, <laughs> yeah. and then we're, we're well. That was the good part. Of that was the right. That was the peak, and uh, and then on top of that, we're Americans in 21st century, and we're and we're America, and we're we're Baptists. So sometimes we don't have the best uh, appreciation of church history. I think mm-hmm. in our tradition, that's a fair statement. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that the church, people in the past are infallible, mm-hmm. but it does mean that. Um, I should look at them as part of my big spiritual family and I can learn things from them and they could learn things from us if they were alive today on the earth. But I can learn from them and it doesn't mean you have to go out and and buy the biggest, thickest book that's the most difficult thing to read, but it does mean I think just at least having, starting out with an appreciation of maybe there is something I could learn from the past. Mm -hmm. Just let that sit there for a little bit. And and then um, getting outside of our stream is hard and I think, but again, just coming to church is the most important thing. Reading your Bible, praying, you're you're getting out of the stream just by by doing those things too. I think. Mm-hmm. But um, okay, all right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, we'd finished letter one there. I hope it's been uh, beneficial to you at home. Um, again, like if you if you're interested, pick up a copy of the Screw Tape Letters if you'd like to. Um, as we are going through it, it's you can usually find this book. It's fairly inexpensive. I bought a bunch of copies recently. I think I got them for four bucks, like on thriftbooks.com or yeah. used on Amazon or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's cheap. it's a very uh, a common book too. You may even be able to go into a Barnes and Noble and buy it if you. Do they still have bookstores? I don't around? think they have bookstores anymore. I don't think those Barnes exist. and Noble. Did I see one recently? I don't know. Was it open? It was probably from like a really old picture. <laughs> okay. One of those old books you were reading. Uh, probably from a JC <laughs> Probably, catalog. yeah, one of those really old books from the <laughs> 1990s. Um, from when, uh, no, so anyway, but yeah, a lot of common, people are going to have, it's a very common book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's enjoyable to read. Oh, another thing you might be interested in is I think Max McLean has made this into like a play. Oh, really? Max McLean yeah, has done a performance yeah. of this. Huh. So you may be able to type that into YouTube and, and find it and... And, and listen to it as well. Well, Scott said he listened to it this morning. How did you do that? I mean, it was on YouTube. Yo, on YouTube. Oh, it it wasn't a play. It was just streamed. Right. Well, just, do, they, do they have the C.S. Lewis doodles? Yeah, but I don't know if he has all the screw tapes like that. <clears throat> okay. He's got other books right. in that way, but I, I don't, don't I'd have know. to look up yeah. the screw tape letters. So anyway, there's a lot of resources online for free that you'll be able to look up. Um, I'd encourage you to take a look at it. Um, it's not an infallible book, obviously, but I find no. it, it's very helpful, full of great insights yeah. from a, a, a creative writer, but also a very serious Christian and brother in Christ as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for listening to us. We hope you're um, uh, that you'll be blessed by listening to this, and uh, we look forward to being with you next time. Take care, and God bless. Bye.